We're so grateful for our men's ministry here, how they're making disciples who live in love like Jesus, um, for their leadership, for their vision and program and what they're running, just a remarkable ministry that we're all grateful for as they invest in the men of our church. Now, I want to invite you, if you have a Bible this morning, to grab it right now and be in 1 Kings chapter 12. I want to welcome those of you watching online, invite you to track along with us as we close out um, our four-week teaching series that we have called Cautionary Tales. Uh, and so each of these four weeks, we've looked at an individual in the scriptures and tried to learn from their mistakes and learn from their pitfalls so that we don't make those same mistakes as well. This morning will look a little different um, given the story we're going to be looking at, and I hope this will be clear to you as we go. Um, I'm going to teach the first part of the message here, and then Pastor Sean is going to come up and lead us through the second part of the message. So we'll be team teaching this message this morning, and we hope it's an encouragement and a blessing to you as we wrap up this series this week on cautionary tales. Now, now when we began this series all the way back a couple weeks ago, uh, what we said was this. We just laid the distinction between knowledge and wisdom, and we said something like this that knowledge is knowing that billions of people have lived before you. So that's some information you can have that billions of people have lived before you. But here's what wisdom is. Wisdom is learning from their mistakes so that you don't have to make them too. So again, you can have information, you can have knowledge, but wisdom is actually internalizing those lessons so that you don't fall into the same traps. And our goal over these four weeks was not merely that you would know the names of Saul and David and Solomon and Rehoboam, but rather that you would learn from their stories so that you wouldn't make the same mistakes that they did. And this distinction between wisdom and knowledge is really at the heart of what we're going to talk about today because my observation, and I think you'll agree with me on this observation about our generation and our culture today is simply this, that the great danger for our generation is not a lack of knowledge. The big problem for anyone alive today is not that you do not have access to enough information. When it comes to the internet or your smartphone or AI technologies, all of these different things, you have more access to information than anyone who has ever lived before you. I was thinking about it this way. Just recently, my children um, were doing bath time, and after bath time, we tried to pull the plug and let the water drain out of the tub, and sure enough, it didn't drain. And so we didn't quite know what was going on until we recognized that they were playing with these tiny little figurine to to uh, toys that had gotten sucked into the drain and had clogged the bathtub drain. Now, a hundred years ago, if that had happened in my home, uh, I would have called someone up, maybe my dad or an uncle or a neighbor, and said, hey, how do you fix this drain? But once that happened to me and we got our kids down to bed, I, I didn't call anyone. Some of you will know exactly what I did. I went onto YouTube and I searched, how do you fix a drain? And here's what's beautiful about YouTube. It didn't just give me generically how to fix some drain of some bathtub out there. It knew the exact model, the exact make, the exact drain that I had to fix. It gave me the steps to take it apart, get everything out, and to put it back together brand new. That's the world we live in today. And for so many of us, our impulse is to go to those sources of knowledge to understand how to do things like fixing a drain or fixing your car or doing something simple around your house. And, and, and there's going to be some value in having that information. There can be some value in having that expertise online. But here's the problem. The internet is great for helping you fix a drain. The internet is great for helping you fix a car. It's great for you figuring out the basics of how to do investments or most of adult life. But here's what it's terrible at. It's terrible at helping you if the problem isn't your drain, if the problem is your marriage, if the problem is your children. 
If the problem is that you're anxious or you're depressed or you're afraid or you're overwhelmed, if you're struggling in your relationship with Jesus, the internet does not have what it takes. So see, the great danger is that we are a people who love to get information from these sources and that we think we can turn to those same sources to get the deeper things that we need. You see, for our generation, the great danger is not a lack of knowledge. The great danger for our generation is a lack of wisdom of wisdom that comes from the generations before, hard-won wisdom that allows us to navigate the most complex things in our life and in our story. And this morning, this morning we're going to hear the story of an individual who never learned the lesson of wisdom, who never learned what it meant to look to the generation that came before him and receive the lessons they had to teach. So this morning we'll see the story of Rehoboam, and here's what we'll learn, that the story of Rehoboam warns us that rejecting the wisdom of the past will ruin your future. Rejecting the wisdom of the past, the wisdom of the generation that came before you, will ruin your future. Now here's what I know when I preach sermons like this and how I've set up this sermon. There is a temptation for you to think that this is a sermon directed at young people. And so if you're in your 20s or 30s, you have a pen and a notebook and you're like, all right, this sermon is for me. But if you are older than your 20s or 30s, you are thinking to yourself, what a wonderful sermon for me to send to my grandson, right? And yet here's what we need to recognize this morning, wherever we're at in the journey of life, that in every season of life, there is wisdom to be gained from those who have gone before. This is not a sermon for young people. This is a sermon for all people. Because wherever you're at in life, there's someone who's gone a little further. If you're a parent, doesn't matter how long you've been a mom or a dad for, someone has done it a little longer. If you're a grandparent, doesn't matter how long you've done that, someone has done that a little longer. Maybe you're retired. Someone else in this room has been retired for 15 or 20 years. Maybe you're a teacher and you've been a veteran teacher, but someone has done it a little longer. In every season of life, there is someone who is a little further down the road, a little bit wiser, and has something to offer you, and there is wisdom to be gained. So for all of us this morning, the invitation is for us to think about the wisdom of the past, and I hope Rehoboam's story will help us do exactly that I'm going to begin this morning in chapter 11, verse 42. It'll set up our story. It says that Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel 40 years. Then he rested with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David, his father. And Rehoboam, his son, succeeded him as king. So this is going to be the story of Rehoboam, son of Solomon, ascending to the throne. And we're going to see in just a moment he is crowned king and everyone gathers for that. This weekend, the whole world watched as an individual got crowned king uh, over in England, and we see that happening. And here's the story how it goes. 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 1. It says, Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone there to make him king. This is the big moment in his life. I imagine since he was a kid, he was dreaming of it and thinking of it. This big moment where he was going to become the king of Israel. And now, he's made it. Now, He's arrived. He's the king. He's reached the top, and nobody is higher than him. And he's excited about this moment. He is looking forward to this moment. Uh, And in this moment, he has become everything he's ever wanted. But here's what Rehoboam doesn't recognize. And here's what I hope all of us will recognize this morning that what's true for Rehoboam is true for you that the most consequential moments of your life are also the most perilous. The most consequential moments where you have newfound freedom or newfound power or you have newfound resources, you get a promotion at work, you become a parent, you step into retirement. Those moments are beautiful and they are good, but they are also perilous. 
You think about a young kid who goes off to school for the first time. It's newfound freedom, and yet there's opportunities for things to go sideways on him or her. You think about a 16-year-old who gets their license. Now they can drive with no one else in the car. And yet there is a perilous moment if they're not wise about it. The same goes for the individual who's 18 years old and they go off to school in a new city or a new state. It is a wonderful moment. It is a significant moment, but it is a perilous moment. The same goes for you the moment you became a parent, a grandparent, the moment you bought that business or got that promotion, the moment you stepped into retirement and now have free time on your hands. It is an important moment. It's a beautiful moment. And yet it is a perilous moment if you do not walk in wisdom. See, there's two different reactions to the type of uh, moment we're talking about here where Rehoboam ascends to the throne, where something big happens in your life. The first is the foolish reaction, and foolish people assume that their knowledge is all that they need. Foolish people walk into a new season of life and think, I've got this, I got myself to this place, I don't need anyone else's input, I'm smart, I'm competent, I'm capable, and I've got this all by myself. That is what foolish people think in new seasons of life. But I want to remind us what wise people do. Wise people assume that someone else knows something they don't. Wise people walk into a new promotion, a new job, a new season of being a parent or a grandparent, a new move, a new something in their life, and assume someone else has been here before, and they have something to teach me. Rehoboam doesn't understand this, and it goes on in verse 2 to tell us, when Jeroboam, son of Nabat, heard this, he was still in Egypt, where he had fled from King Solomon, he returned from Egypt. So they sent for Jeroboam, and he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. So Rehoboam ascends to the throne, and this is his big moment he's been looking forward to. It's a consequential and a perilous moment, and everyone celebrates him. But then Rehoboam runs into what anyone who has ever gotten a promotion, a job, a big moment, you're in a big role, and you're a leader now. When you become a leader, everyone celebrates for about half a second, and then you know it shows up right away? All of the problems of your organization, they come right to your desk. And that's what Jeroboam or Rehoboam receives here. The people come to him and they say, listen, your father Solomon was wise, but one place he missed it, He's made, he made work too heavy on us. It was too burdensome. We're feeling crushed by this labor that we're having to do. Can you please lighten the load and change things in this next generation? And Rehoboam immediately recognizes that there is a problem. In front of him is this problem of how they have to fix it. But one of the things I want to point out is simply this. There's problems in the story of Rehoboam. There's problems thousands of years ago in ancient Israel. And those same problems linger in every institution that you and I have ever been a part of. I want us to recognize this morning that failure and brokenness are a human universal. They're a human universal. Everywhere you look, there is failure and brokenness. There is no place you can look that you will not find the effects of sin on this world. Sometimes people tell me that they had a tough childhood or that their parents were broken. Their family of origin wasn't perfect. And I go, well, okay, welcome to the club called All of Us, right? Or they get into a new business and they start going, well, leadership did this. And I can't believe management thought this. And I can't believe this happened. And they're pointing at all the brokenness. It's like, of course. That's every business, every organization. Or sometimes people show up new to the church or they join our staff and they want to pull me aside and let me know that there's some problems here. And I go, no, 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 the problems run much deeper than Calvary. They go all the way back to the book of Acts. There were problems there. Well, like I want us to know that human brokenness, that the fact that we are sinners exists in every organization. And that's not to downplay the pain that exists there, but it is to recognize that the shocking thing for us, the meaningful thing for us to realize 
isn't simply that we can point out broken things. I think we live in a profoundly cynical culture, a profoundly cynical culture that just wants to point out problems and everything. Well, there's problems over there, and there's problems with him, and there's problems with her, and there's problems in that institution, and you know what? You're right. In fact, if you ever want to do an exercise, just close your eyes and point your finger in any random direction, and you'll find a problem, because that's the world we exist in. And what Rehoboam is encountered with is the fact that there is a problem. Uh, and yet for Rehoboam, what he's not going to realize and what he needs to realize is simply this, that, that your ability to point out problems, your ability to criticize the past does not make your life meaningful. That's the easy part. Like the easy part is pointing out and sniffing out problems in this world. But as you step into a new season of life, a new role as a parent, a new role uh, in an organization, a new role at your school, a new role in your church, what makes your life meaningful is this. It's that your willingness to build toward the future is what makes your life meaningful. So the ability to look to your family of origin and criticize them, listen, there might be very valid criticisms there. But what makes your life meaningful and beautiful is you starting a family of your own and raising them in the way you wish you were raised. It's really easy to point at problems in an organization or a business, a company that you're a part of. And that's the easy part. The hard part is to build into the next generation if you're part of our church and maybe you go, okay, there's some problems here, that's actually the easy thing. The meaningful and the hard thing is to build into this church, be a volunteer, be a leader, be a part of building toward the future. See, Rehoboam is encountered with the problem, and problems are human universals. And the key question for us is not will we recognize problems in the world. Of course there are problems in the world. The question is, what will we do to build toward the future? In verse 5, it says, Rehoboam answered, go away for three days. And then come back to me. So the people went away. Now, Rehoboam is not going to be a great hero in this story. He's going to stumble in many ways, but I think his instinct here was correct. To say, hey, give me three days to think about this problem. He doesn't react with an immediate answer. He doesn't just gut level say something. He asks for three days to consider the problem. Now, he's ultimately going to squander these three days, and he's not going to handle these three days very well. But his instinct is correct to be the type of person who says, I want to wait, I want to be patient with a thoughtful answer. It says in verse six, then Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people, he asked. So again, he asked for some time and then his first stop is to go to the elders, the people who served in the previous administration, the previous regime, and just ask them, well, how would you advise me to do this? And I love the way he asked the question. He doesn't shirk the responsibility off on them. He doesn't say, you make the decision. He says, I want you to speak into me. Advise me on how I should do this. And I think this is significant for us when we think about our lives and the seasons we're in, the responsibilities we have, what's put upon us, that the great danger is that we don't look to the generation before us. And now I want to be clear um, on something this morning. When I talk about going to the generation before us, here's what I'm not saying. Uh, I want to be clear that people with experience are not always right. Right? There can be older, wiser people in your life who just have so much wisdom to offer you, and there can be older people with experience who are just foolish. And so the point is not, if anyone's ever older or has more experience, you must listen to them, and you must do exactly what they say because they're always right. But rather this, the people with experience are always worth listening to. Again, he goes to them and says, how would you advise me? He doesn't say, make the decision for me. He doesn't say, you tell me what to do, and I'll do exactly that. They're worth listening to because they have wisdom and because they have experience. It goes on in verse seven, they replied, if today you'll be a servant to these people, serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. 
So Rehoboam goes to the old men, he goes to the elders, and he asks, what would you do? And the answer is sort of that like old-timey wisdom where you think what you have to do as king is show yourself to be strong and mighty and powerful. And they say, no, 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 don't do that. Serve them. Be a servant. Be favorable toward them. And then what's going to happen? The ironic twist of fate there is that they will always be your servants. That is the wisdom given to Solomon. It's the wisdom, or pardon me, from Solomon's generation passed down to Rehoboam. That is the wisdom they give him. But then we see this in verse 8. It says, but Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving with him. Now, it's important for you to recognize the order here. It doesn't say he heard the wisdom from the elders and then went to the young people and weighed what both of them had to say and then made his decision. Notice what it says in verse 8. The first thing he does is reject the advice from the elders. He doesn't want to hear it. He doesn't want to listen. This idea of being servant to these people, of being gracious and kind to them, he doesn't want anything to do with that. So he turns to the young men who he grew up with. See, Rehoboam turns away from the advice of the elders because the advice of the elders is a timeless kind of wisdom. And here's what's true in Rehoboam's life, but it's also true in your life and mine. And maybe we can just acknowledge this, that timeless wisdom is actually hard to receive. Timeless wisdom is really hard to receive because timeless wisdom is the simple kind of wisdom that there's no way of getting around. It would be like if you came to me and said, Brian, I want to start building wealth and changing my family tree. I want to start paying off debt and really saving toward the future. And I said, okay, no, no, it's really simple. Here's what you got to do. You need to spend less money than you make. You're like, well, I don't want to do that. No, 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 no. Give me some kind of cool investment or some Bitcoin or some digital thing I can do that'll just make me rich. I go, no, 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 no. You just have to spend less money than you make. No one wants to hear that. Or it's like if you're wanting to get in shape and you're like, okay, you're probably going to have to eat a little different and exercise a little more. And everyone's like, I don't want to do that either, right? But this is timeless wisdom. It is just the basic bedrock principles. And Rehoboam doesn't want to hear the timeless wisdom. You and I don't want to hear the timeless wisdom. We would rather someone tell us something flashy and new and interesting rather than what's always been true. But this is the problem for Rehoboam. He's not looking for what's true. He's looking for what he wants to find. See, this is the distinction between foolish and wise people. Foolish people look for what they want to hear. That they ask people for advice because they want to hear a certain thing. That's what foolish people do. They go to the people who they know will tell them what they want to hear. But here's what wise people do. Wise people look for what they need to hear. Wise people have people in their life who have the permission to say things that they probably don't want to hear the things they're not sure they want to receive, the things that feel uncomfortable for them. And Rehoboam, Rehoboam never understands this. It goes on in verse 9, it says, He asked them, what is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us? The young men who had grown up with him replied, these people have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Now tell them, and this is their response, my little finger is thicker than your father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. Now, two different kinds of advice he gets. One, be servant to them, be gracious to them, be favorable to them. The other, double down, make it harder, make their lives miserable. Now, you and me listening to this, we're like, there's an obvious answer here, right? Even if you don't know how this story ends, and by the way, it ends very badly. He goes this way, right? He goes with the bad advice. But you know exactly what to receive here. But Rehoboam is going to go in a foolish direction. But I want to point out something this morning. 
I want to point out that the reason Rehoboam goes in a foolish and ultimately destructive direction is not primarily because of his foolishness. See, Rehoboam's deepest issue was not foolishness. There are many young people who have foolishness inside of them, and that needs to be trained out of us as we're young and as we grow in age. But the issue, the primary issue for Rehoboam was not foolishness. Rehoboam's deepest issue was pride. It was pride. It was the unwillingness to listen to the wisdom of the past. It was this hubris, this arrogance that says, I've got this thing on my own, and I don't need to listen to the generations that came before me. You see, the ultimate issue for Rehoboam was not management style or leadership ability. The ultimate issue was pride. And here's what we need to acknowledge this morning, that pride is always a spiritual issue. It's a spiritual issue. See, the great problem for Rehoboam was not just between him and his subjects or him and the elders or him and his friends. The great problem for Rehoboam was between him and his God. When we walk in pride, it is not merely a wisdom and foolishness issue. It is an issue between us and our creator. I want you to see what 1 Peter chapter 5 says about this. Peter writes this. He says, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. And all of you, clothe yourself in humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. And you see this phrase that God opposes the proud and shows favor to the humble all throughout the Bible. But isn't it interesting that for Peter, he connects that to you who are younger submitting yourself to your elders. Like in other words, what Peter understands is what Rehoboam never did, is that the unwillingness to listen to and submit to those who have wisdom, those who are above you, those who are older, the unwillingness to receive that wisdom is actually a spiritual issue that causes God to oppose you rather than to be gracious and generous toward you. See, what Peter understands is what Rehoboam never did, and that's that rejecting the wisdom of the past will ruin your future. Why? Not just because you aren't receiving the best practices or learning tricks and tips. Those are all true. But the real issue, when I refuse to listen to anyone who comes before me, when me as a pastor here, when I refuse to listen to people who have been at this church longer than I've been alive, people who have pastored much longer than me, if I get into a heart position where I go, I'm not going to listen to anyone who came before me, the principal issue isn't just that I'm not doing the best thing by the church. The principal issue, according to 1 Peter, is that God opposes me in my pride. The face of God is set against me. And then the opposite is also true, that receiving of the wisdom of the past will bless your future. And that's the core instruction today, that we would be a people who receive the wisdom of the past who look to those who have gone before us and the generations before, those who are just a little ahead of us, and we receive from them. And we receive from them not just to get best practices or tricks and tips, but because we know in the moment where I'm receiving and submitting to those who are older than me, it says that the, in the scriptures that God blesses me. He shows his favor toward me. His goodness and his mercy and his favor are upon my life when I listen to and submit to those who are older than me. In preparation for this week, I was thinking about a professor I had in college. I got a little picture of him here. This is Herbert Ryan. Uh, Herbert Ryan uh, was a professor of mine at school, uh, and he was born in 1931. So when he was my professor, who's 76 years old, and I'm this young guy training for ministry, fired up about what the Lord has, and, and here's this guy, Herbert Ryan, and, and he's trying to instruct me in my life. And, and he was this incredible instructor who just knew how to draw the best out of you. I remember he put a paper on my desk once that I'd written and he gave me a B on it and he goes, you got a B, but Brian, I know you and I really think you could have gotten an A. 
You had that kind of teacher, that professor who just raises your level, makes you want to perform better. I remember there was this debate going on as we were talking about worship styles in the early 2000s, and there were some who wanted to stick with older style hymns and some who wanted to do new songs. And I remember listening to him weigh in on that debate. And he said, listen, Brian, that all true worship, all true worship of God is rooted in gratitude. He goes, so if you don't have gratitude, you can sing old songs or new songs, but it's not worship, it's just singing. But he said, if you have gratitude in your heart for who God is and what he's done on your behalf, you can sing old songs and hymns, you can sing new tradition or contemporary songs, and that is worship before our God. That was a profound wisdom poured into me. Where even this morning we sang newer songs and older songs and we see those weaving together. It was a beautiful thing from a man that as a 21-year-old, every instinct in me may have been to say, ah, what does this guy know? What does he have to teach me? But Herbert Ryan poured into my life. And I'm so grateful I listened to that man. So grateful for his influence on my life. Because in listening and hearing and submitting and knowing what the older generation had to say, there's a blessing of God in my life. I've experienced that blessing from Herbert Ryan. I've also experienced that blessing from so many others, including right here at this church. I've experienced that blessing from Pastor Sean Thornton. Uh, As the senior pastor here, he has invested in me and so many of the next generation leaders and staff here at the church. I'm grateful for the ways he's invested in us. I'm grateful for the ways he's passed down the wisdom of the past to us here. And Pastor Sean's going to continue on the story with Rehoboam here in verse 12. Pastor Sean, thank you for the ways you invest in the next generation here at Calvary. Thank you, Brian. Thank you so much. And, you know, one of the things about this passage and this cautionary tale of Rehoboam is it's the younger generation that blows it. (laughs) Just so you know. If you look at verse 12, the story continues. He has already rejected the advice of those with more experience. The people have asked for things to be lightened the taxes, the labor required of the kingdom. And uh, he said, give me three days. And Rehoboam comes back in verse 12. Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam as the king had said, come back to me in three days. The king answered the people harshly, rejecting the advice given him by the elders. Now notice, he has a harsh demeanor that goes along with this bad advice. And part of what we need to understand when we're dealing with wisdom is even the demeanor in which we carry ourselves. That's, again, why Brian wisely pointed out that the issue here is not so much about wisdom, but pride and arrogance that's crept into his heart. Rejecting the advice given him by the elders. Remember, he rejected the advice before he ever even listened to the younger people. He just didn't like it. He followed the advice of the young man and said, my father made your yoke heavy. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. You think that you had it bad under my dad Solomon. You're going to really have it bad. So the king did not listen to the people. For this turn of events was from the Lord to fulfill the word of the Lord that he had spoken to Jeroboam, son of Nebat, through Ahijah the Shilonite. Then all Israel saw that the king refused to listen to them. This was a legitimate cry of their hearts, and he had no compassion, speaks harshly to them, says it's going to be worse for you under my leadership. They answered the king, what share do we have in David? What part in Jesse's son? To your tents, Israel, look out after your own house, David. What part do we have with your grandfather David or your father Solomon or even going back to your great-grandfather Jesse? We're of different tribes. And so what happens here is the Israelites go home. This speaks of the 10 tribes that will emerge as the kingdom of the north in the time of the divided kingdom, Israel. And then two tribes eventually gather in the south. It begins with Judah and then Benjamin joins them and they become the nation of Judah. 
But as for, it says, so the Israelites went home. But as for the Israelites who were living in the towns of Judah, Rehoboam ruled over them. So he rules over the tribes to the south. And then Jeroboam becomes the ruler of the tribes of the north. King Rehoboam sent out Adoniram, who was in charge of forced labor. In other words, we're going to bring these people under our thumb. And apparently Rehoboam goes with him to watch what Adoniram is going to do to bring all these people under his control, all of the tribes. But all Israel stoned him, Adoniram, to death. King, Jer King Rehoboam, however, managed to get into his chariot and escape to Jerusalem. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. Rehoboam inherits the kingdom, but he squanders his opportunity. He doesn't receive the wisdom of the past, and in his pride and in his arrogance, he makes things worse, and the kingdom is divided, and actually the kingdom never really unites fully again. The scriptures tell us that things will be united again and only in the eternal kingdom of Christ himself when Jesus sits on the throne of King David forever and ever. So the consequences are heavy and harsh. There's great division among God's people. There's a problem here in how he received the wisdom. And I want to talk for a few moments about receiving wisdom from those who have more experience than you. Brian pointed out this is not just a chronological thing here. You could be a grandparent but have people who've been grandparents longer who can speak into your life. You can be a 30-year-old who is moving beyond that young adult stage that we have of 18 to 30-year-olds here and say you can reach back and help a 20-year-old have some wisdom that they might not have going into their early 20s. So it's, it's perspective. I'm 56 years old, so I'm guessing I'm about over halfway unless I'm going to live to be 112. And I still have a lot to learn from those who have more experience in various areas of life, but I have some things to give in terms of my experience and my insights, the good, bad, and ugly I've gone through in life, my successes and my failures. But let's talk about then how does someone who's younger or with less experience look to someone who is older or who has more experience to gain wisdom? Let's talk about getting wisdom. When we seek wisdom from an older person, Proverbs 1.5 says, let the wise listen and add to their learning. Let the discerning get guidance. Proverbs 13.20, these are the collection of wisdom from Solomon, Rehoboam's father. Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Proverbs 16.31 says, gray hair is a crown of splendor. It is attained in the way of righteousness. Gray hair is a good thing. There's some experience, some wisdom there. Proverbs 19.20 from the New Living Translation. Get all the advice and instruction you can so you'll be wise the rest of your life. Job 12.12 says, Wisdom belongs to the aged and understanding to the old. There's something about life experience. Even if it hap happens to be that you've learned from your failures or the mistakes of others that you can share with the next generation. And so there needs to be a spirit on the part of those with less experience and less age to looking to those with more age and more experience to pour into their lives. In Titus 2 in the New Testament, we're told that even in the church, the older men are to teach the younger men and the older women to teach the younger women. There is a mentoring, a pouring into the next generation that needs to be a part of who we are. So in seeking wisdom from an older person, seeking to get wisdom from someone with more experience, how do you, as the younger or less experienced person, do that? Well, I'll give you five things here, five practical things. Number one, be open-minded and teachable. Rehoboam was not open-minded or teachable. He had decided before he even got two opinions that he was going to reject the wisdom of those who had gone before. 
Be open-minded and teachable. Approach that person with more experience with a willingness to learn and listen. Recognize the value of their input, whether it's a grandparent, a parent, in-laws, an uncle, an older neighbor, someone in, in your business who's gone on before you, or someone in your career who has more experience than you. Be open-minded and teachable, ready to learn. Some of the polarization in our world today, we've lost our ability just to hear other people and learn. And when you're younger and less experienced, look to those who are older and more experienced. Be open-minded and teachable. Secondly, ask questions and actively listen. Ask questions and actively listen. Engage with thoughtful, open-ended questions. Avoid arguing and pushing back. You know, some of the tensions we have today have even spilled over into Thanksgiving meals where generations argue with one another and fight over various things. If you're a younger person, be willing to just take in wisdom and input from others without arguing and pushing back, just to hear and to be able to understand that perspective. Ask questions and actively listen. Thirdly, be respectful and grateful. Remember, the heart of the issue here is pride. It's pride that ruined Rehoboam. It's pride and arrogance can, can ruin any of us. Even those of us who maybe don't have as much experience can have a haughty spirit. spirit. And those who stand should take heed lest they fall, the scriptures say. Be respectful and grateful. Make sure they feel, not just know, that you value their words, stories, and experiences. Don't just, as a younger person, say, okay, I listened for 10 minutes. Mark that box off. You've been heard. Don't have that attitude. Make sure that you're engaging with the individual, valuing that person, their stories, their advice, their input. Make sure they know you feel an appreciation and gratitude for what they're giving you, their experiences, their story, and how that can affect your life. Find a mentor and develop a board of advisors. Now, we can have different mentors in different stages of life. We can even have this idea a friend of mine had of a board of advisors in life. Seek out someone to pour into you. Select a group that you can call when needed. Mentor is someone who's gone before you. Maybe it is in your career field, or maybe it is in the education you're walking through, or maybe it is in being a parent, or whatever it happens to be. Find someone, if it's in the Christian life, someone who can mentor you because they've gone before, they've got more experience. And you can call on them at any time and they'll give you input. You can have coffee with them and, and you can experience life together with that person pouring into your life. A friend of mine, when he was younger, developed a board of advisors. He pulled someone from the company he worked in. He pulled a neighbor in. He pulled his father-in-law in. He brought a Christian friend in and he would get together with them two, three times a year just to get their input on what he was going through in life. And he called them his life board of advisors. The book of Proverbs talks about wisdom is found in a multitude of counselors, getting wise people speaking into your life. If you're younger, think about finding a mentor. Develop a board of advisors. Fifth and finally, cultivate relationships and invest time. Cultivate relationships and invest time. Foster a relationship with older individuals beyond seeking wisdom. Build a strong bond. This is about experiencing humanity together, being human Developing relationships? See, in the illustration that Brian talked about, about when his drain was clogged up with the kids' toys, you can go to YouTube and you can download information. And you can, you can say, well, that's an easy way to get easy access to just knowledge, but I'll wait and get wisdom in life for marriage and parenting and all that from other people. 
But it used to be that when we had to learn how to balance a checkbook or you're putting together your family budget or you're thinking, you know, should I get a savings account or money market or how, how do I re repair this in my home? We used to look to our parents, our in-laws, an older neighbor, uh, uh, uncle, someone in the church who was older to speak into our lives on the non-controversial things. And I think because we're missing that and we go to Google and YouTube and chat GPT and we, we get what we need in life and we don't have to go to them, then our only interactions with the older generation are the things that there might be controversy over, conflict around and values and culture changes. I think it's healthy if you're younger to build a relationship and let those who are more experienced speak into your life even on the things that are non-controversial and things you could Quickly Google, if you're younger, when you go to Google something, say to yourself, is there someone more experienced I could go to to get this information? Could they speak into my life? That's a part of building relationships and bonds. I love how Pastor Dick Thompson, who oversees our seasoned adult ministry of 60 plus, has been working with Pastor Brian Williams and Pastor Sarah Sawinski, who oversee our young adults. And these two ministries, young adults, 18 to 30 year olds, Seasoned adults, those 60 plus, they've been doing meals together, they've been doing ministries together, they've been just hanging out, they've been fostering relationships intergenerationally. Why is that important? It's uncommon in our culture. We're polarized not just in our politics, but in our generations. Parents and grandparents can no longer speak to their children and grandchildren. There's such division over so many things. And we need to slow down and cultivate relationships intergenerationally so we can be multi-generational in the church in such a way the world goes, there's another thing different about them that we need in this world and they'll be drawn to Jesus. But when we just Google or chat GPT or whatever we do to find the answer, we miss out on so much. When seeking wisdom from an older person, when getting wisdom from someone more experienced than you, be sure and approach them with humility, with the spirit of these five things we shared to go deeper and develop a relationship. But what about those of us who maybe have some experience and have some wisdom in life or in an area of career or, or, or of, of Christianity itself, our Christian walk? This is now a responsibility of ours to give wisdom to those less experienced, to pour wisdom into a younger generation. Proverbs 27, 17 says that iron sharpens iron between human beings in relationship. Iron sharpens iron. Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7 says that we're to with our own children, with the next generation. In the times we're just getting up and walking down the path, non-controversial times, not disciplined moments, talk about the things of God and the things of life. These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts and press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up, when you're driving the car. Just talk about life, not wait until there's a conflict and then talk about it. Pour wisdom into the next generation. 2 Timothy 2.2 says, Paul is speaking to Timothy and he's telling Timothy, I poured into you, now you pour into others. It says, and the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. You pass it on to them. Psalm 78 says we're to share with the next generation and the next generation after them, and we're to share the good news of God with the children not yet born by pouring into those generations. There is a responsibility we have with experience and life and our Christian walk 
to make sure we pour into those who walk that path behind us, the path of life and faith. Psalm 71, 18 says, now that I'm old and gray, let me proclaim your power to this new generation, your mighty miracles to all who come after me. That ought to be the spirit of those who have wisdom and age in life. Let me give you, if you're one, giving wisdom, investing wisdom, taking the responsibility you have from God to do that, let me give you five suggestions on how you do that. Number one, be humble and approachable. Again, the issue here with Rehoboam is one of arrogance and pride. We who pour wisdom into others need to be humble and approachable, create a warm and inviting atmosphere, be open to learning from them as well. In the years I've been working with Pastor Brian Howard as our teaching pastor and trying to pour into his life, I think I've learned as much from him as he's ever taught me. We need to have a teachable spirit that we can learn from the next generation. We too could Google how to fix our phones or set, used to be, you know, the struggle was setting your, your clock on the VCR. We've gotten beyond that. But we could, instead of just Googling it, we could reach out to a grandchild or a child or someone younger and ask them, how do you do this? Again, in the non-controversial areas, so we can have open dialogue in those times there might be disagreement or different perspectives. I love how Pastor Brian has spoken into my life. We mentioned last fall that a part of our 2030 vision is to, to empower the next generation, to lead forward into their generation and beyond. We talked about how by 2030, I'll step back as senior pastor and Brian will step in and be the senior pastor and our elders worked on that for quite some time and we're excited and believe that's what God has for us. I've had people come up to me because it's gonna happen by 2030, but I'm gonna become the teaching pastor and stay here. People have come up and said, you know, I hope you'll announce your last Sunday so we'll be there. I'm planning to be here for a long time, working very hard in the part of leadership. My role will change. My voice and the team will change. He's had people who weren't here in the fall and didn't hear that vision come up to him and whisper, you know, we think when Pastor Sean retires, you ought to replace him or, you know, and they're part of, they think they're part of some coup that's being created, you know. <laughs> There's something that we've been a part of, but I've learned as much from him as I hope He's learned from me. Secondly, share your successes and your failures. If you're pouring wisdom into someone with less experience, don't just tell them about the great moments. Tell them about the hard times, the times you got on your knees, the times you didn't see how it was gonna work out. Use your life experiences as examples, making your wisdom more relatable and engaging. Tell your story. And as you tell your story, tell your story of how God got you through this. Be clear that it's about God. Give the gospel, share the good news, get back to it's Jesus in my life that got me through that time. It's, it's God who gave me the hope, who moved me through this situation. And let me just say that as we talk about that good news, I wanna make sure you know that God loves you and wants a relationship with you. The book of Colossians describes Christ as the embodiment of wisdom from God. And it is Christ, the one who is the wise one, the one who is wisdom, who gives us a relationship with God forever. Because of his death, burial, and resurrection, we can have a relationship with Jesus by faith. If you have questions about that, you'd like to talk to someone about that, we'd love to help you. You can talk to me in the lobby, you can talk to our care team after our service down front here in the, in the worship center. You can also text the name Jesus to the number 58568 that's below me. Just take the name Jesus, text that name to that number, we'll connect with you. Make sure you know the one who gives you a relationship with God who the scriptures describe as wisdom. Share him as a part of what you share in your successes and your failures. 
Number three, encourage open dialogue and active listening. Listen to their thoughts and concerns. Understand their perspectives without dismissing it. Don't just cut them off because you disagree or they have a different perspective. Encourage open dialogue. Actively listen. This is hard for me with my own children. I want to come in like an F-16. <laughs> Prove and tell them where they're wrong. But the more I've opened my heart to just listen, the more we've had healthy conversations that have helped us both. Fourthly, offer gentle guidance and uncommon patience. I think patience is uncommon in our polarized world. It's a part of wisdom. Share your wisdom in a non-judgmental spirit. And I don't mean, I know we have truth of God's word and at times we're sharing that truth, but we need to do it speaking the truth in love in a gracious, open way without a judgmental spirit. Offer unconditional guidance over time. Don't just do a data dump and say, you got my wisdom, she heard me. What you need to do is you, you need to actually, all right, I'm gonna say something here. There is music coming through the speakers behind me. There we go. Right, I'm still with you, right? This isn't like I'm being called home to heaven. <laughs> I'm hearing, I'm hearing music, not voices. <laughs> I'm still hearing it. If you're not hearing it, all right, I'll let it go. <laughs> I feel like Fred Sanford, do you remember that? Sanford and Sons, it's the big one, Elizabeth, it's the big one. <laughs> Offer gentle guidance and uncommon patience. Oh, we need that with the next generation. Fifth and finally, emphasize principles and de-emphasize methods. Emphasize principles and de-emphasize methods. Communicate core values, the essence of wisdom. Avoid rigid forms of doing life. I think a great illustration of that is what Brian heard from his professor. At the, the heart, the principle is gratitude and expression to God. And in the older generation, we need to make sure we don't say, you gotta do it this way. Here's the exact form and method. We need to communicate the values, the principles, the essence, and let their gen generation figure it out with the technology and the means and how. Emphasize principles and de-emphasize methods. Our spirit needs to be a spirit of humility as we do this. Whether you are gaining wisdom from someone more experienced or who is older than you, or you're giving wisdom to someone who has less experience and is younger than you, there's something healthy that happens in life and in the world as human beings that, and how God wired us in relationships to to grow together. There's something that helps us in the church to flourish in Christ when we are willing to learn together, to grow together. And when you don't value wisdom of the past, you do lead to ruin in your future. But when you receive the wisdom of the past, it gives you an opportunity to flourish in your future. When I was 29 years old, I was being interviewed to be a senior pastor. I'd never been a senior pastor before. The church was about 750 to 800 people. And um, I... I was pretty young, and this search committee was interviewing me, and a lady in her 70s looked at me and said, you're really young. I think you're gonna make a lot of mistakes if we, if we call you to be our pastor. And she said, don't you think when you're 40 you'll look back and regret the mistakes of your 30s? And the Lord just put this thought in my head. I said, I do. I'll make a lot of mistakes between now and then. She said, see? I said, but when I'm 50, I'll look back at the foolish young mistakes I made in my 40s. And when I'm 60, I'll look back at the foolish mistakes and sins I committed in, in my 40s. When I'm 60, I'll look back at the things in my 50s. When I'm 70, I'll look back. 
there is something about life where we're growing and moving forward, and we need to say to those behind us, you know, follow me as I follow Jesus. We need wisdom from one another, and we need to be willing to gain wisdom and give wisdom. Are you seeking wisdom from those more experienced in life than you? Are you pouring wisdom into those less experienced in life than you? If you're not seeking wisdom, can I encourage you to identify someone older or farther along in a specific area of life? Reach out to them this week. Have coffee with them. Let them speak into your life. If you're older or more experienced, maybe reach out to a grandchild, a child, someone you know that's younger and less experienced and Ask them if they can have coffee and just say, I just want to share some things with you and think of two or three things that would be important for you to know at their age or their stage and whatever it is that you maybe have more experience in. Let's find ways to pour into one another. We might have ultimately the wisdom of God together. Would you pray with me, please? Thanks, Father, for the warning, the cautionary tale of Jeroboam. Thank you for the cautionary tale of King Saul his jealousy, David and his lust, Solomon his idolatry, even Rehoboam and this arrogance. Help us, Father, to heed the cautionary tales you've intentionally included in the scriptures. May we be people who seek wisdom and as you give us wisdom in life to be willing to give it as a gift. May we seek and give wisdom with humility knowing that all of it comes from you. Thank you, for the people who poured into my life and the opportunities you've given me to pour into others. Oh, our world needs to see a, a, a different dynamic among generations. And may that take place right here in our church at Calvary. We love you, Lord. and pray that we might be a part of your wisdom, not just the world's thoughts, but your wisdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.